वर्ल्ड Sujata graduated from NID in 1984. She did her Masters of Fine Arts in Graphic Design from the School of Art, Yale University, 1987. At Yale, Sujata studied under designers like Paul Rand, Bradbury Thompson, to name a few. And today, we are here to know her design philosophy. And my personal curiosity then that can design be tangibly measured. Um, so thank you, Sujata, for giving your time. And it's a real, real honor to have you on Audio Gang. Oh thanks thanks a lot I'm happy to be here So uh basically I've I've I wish to cover four aspects uh, in this conversation uh, uh is that your transition from uh, graphic to fashion uh also your contribution to the corporate uh, world uh with respect to design and how the business uh wants outputs and metrics and then how does design fit into that uh, aspect your overall design philosophy of course and uh, lastly we'll just touch upon uh, your uh, understanding about education of design in india because you have been like the, at the governing councils of uh, multiple design schools so that's that's the broad premise yeah i'll i'll start uh, by asking you at a more broader level just to take instance of uh, in one of your articles you mentioned that the legendary paul rand uh, taught you form a uh, divorce from content has no value and uh, this is just a lead in to understand your philosophy what do you understand from this and how has this uh, design philosophy shaped in your mind about you so right so yeah that is tr- it's true that paul rand uh, uh, you know basically he spoke a lot about form and content and how the form of you know this was in the context of graphic design and hmm. he said that like form should always come out of the content and not be divorced from content and he said that when in in any piece of work uh, if the form is divorced from content it becomes uh, irrelevant uh, it becomes generic and it it's usually most often self indulgent and or it may pull closer to art uh, and not really fulfill the criteria of design so just to give you um, like say so uh, actually i think he was responding to um you know like at the time there was a this whole school like which was fostered by cranbrook and uh, you know april griman and people who uh, whose work was uh, you know very uh, sort of had a very strong style and uh, which subsumed everything else so no matter which or if you look at the work of david carson you know Correct. you you can see that they have a style which is very very strong and um, so no matter what project they're working on the result is really in always in that style and it's more about the kind of work style that they like to uh, to employ more than what uh, is really uh, you know demanded by the design so it's like you so basically uh, 
one goes to them if one wants work in that style, because that's what you're going to get. And Paul Dan was extremely, um, you know, irritated, to be mm -hmm. honest, by that whole uh, way of thinking. And he, uh, he was extremely against it. And he kept saying that this, you know, this, anything that's generic is weak, and it doesn't have strength. So even, for example, supposing you, in the case of graphic design, you did a layout where, uh, let's say you're doing a music poster, and you, you, you put a square photograph in which you put uh, a photograph of the musician, then whatever, something to do with the music, and then you have a headline on top. Uh, he would say that's a very weak uh, cop-out sort of thing because it's so generic. You change the photograph, you change the headline, the design could work for something else. And therefore it's not uh, strong. In a strong design, the, the layout is determined by the content. So the form of everything that you use is, and the way it appears is determined by the content. It isn't uh, it's not interchangeable. You know, you can't take out that. Uh, the image is, the, the way the image looks is absolutely derived from, let's say if it's for a music concert, then it's derived, it's very, very particular and it's got association to do with music in particular with that concert. It's very specific. And so that is why he always said the form has to come out of the content. And I, I do think that, uh, you know, I tend to, go along with that sort of school uh, of thinking and not with the, uh, you know, my own work has not, has always followed that sort of uh, philosophy. It's not really uh, been like, I, I'm in a mood to do this and I'm Sujata and this is me. And therefore, you know, it's going to be like this, which is really more, more like art than design. You know, it's not so much about what's, what's preoccupying me. It's about what why I'm doing that piece of work, uh, what is the reason and what conditions does it have to fulfill? So uh, in th that is uh, the context in which he... Correct, correct. So, so where, do we, where do we draw this line of uh, graphic design becoming sort of an art or illustration becoming sort of an art? Because it's a thin line, I believe, right? Or it's, it's a very thick line. If you remove this, if you remove the function of communicating very effectively or having content which is uh, uh, actually communication is the only thin line or is there any other aspect? Uh, uh, well, you know, the difference between design and art is that in art, the whatever the artist wants to do is uppermost, right? And that is what distinguishes art. Art is a self-expression. It's like poetry or, you know, it's like whatever you want to write or it's like a music composition, whatever the composer feels like doing, whatever ideas gripped, gripping the mind of the artist, uh, they put it out and it's then it's up to the audience to receive it, uh, you know, in any way to be moved yeah. by it or mm. to have an interpretation of it. Yeah, exactly. That is that is it. But in design, is the difference is design is not uh, created because the designer is it. It's not a matter of self-expression. Usually, design is created for a purpose, mm -hmm. and there is a reason why an object is being created it, to fulfill a certain need, or you know whatever it is. If it's either an object or a piece of communication or an app or whatever it is, it's not just that you know, one is in a mood to do something. It's it's about, uh, it's really about a need and then you're trying to fulfill a need. So there's a functional aspect and uh, then of course, how each designer interprets it is different. And there is an aesthetic component. There is the component of form, uh, which mm. distinguishes one 
solution from another but um, so, sorry to interrupt but uh, but in a traditional uh, setup uh, of design uh, it's quite understood but in terms of this blurring lines of graphic design and then illustration and even works of Ka- david carson so at least i mean, i'm i'm exposed to that uh, just that so how do like where do they fit into this scheme of things i understand the design and art being two distinct things but graphic design especially so in graphic design the thing is that it it uh, so desi- different designers have a, a different approach and uh, designers like as i when i mentioned david carson designers like david carson's work is always recognizable as david carson you know it's not that and no matter what whatever you look at whatever he may be designing for it there's a certain look and feel that goes along with it and therefore his stamp on the piece of work is very strong so it has to then so whatever he, so one has to go to him because you want that because that's what you're going to get you know it's not you're not going to get like you go to frank gehry as an architect you're not going to get something with which is looking classical you're going to get what he does and david carson has a very strong style so it's um, and that's therefore pulling closer to art so he can people can only uh, the kind of work he does is predictable and you go to that person because you want that then that's the sort of because that's what you're going to get so that's it's not that it's not valid it's a, it's a perfectly uh, i mean if that works for the projects that he's doing yes but then that, there's a limited scope because you you've got a predetermined style so you can only do those kinds of projects yeah, i don't know if yeah. that answers it yeah yeah ha ha no so yeah i mean the moment we also try and like perceive it from more uh, the way you mentioned it it then falls into very very art style uh, aspects yeah <laughs> that's right so for example you have uh, you know your solution there's a spectrum on which you like extreme functionality uh, you know and uh, extreme art is you know the art dominates and then so in that spectrum the designer can fall anywhere uh, particularly so in graphic design because graphic design uh, you know more than say in the design of an object but even in objects for example a designer that is interested in function will go in for more a uh, functional objects like you know designing a car or a you know something that has to work a washing machine a mobile phone where function is important but a designer who is more interested in form and where the function isn't as dominant who can do jewelry or or a vase or some object of decor you know that sort of stuff just like that in graphic design too you might uh, you could be any on either side of the spectrum it just depends on the designer and what Uh, you know how they like to work correct and then how like where do these uh, philip stark type work uh, sit in just to understand uh, where do these these things work so i think that uh, it works closer to the art side of the spectrum but uh, you know in the west you the, the the fact is that things have to work anyway i mean they have the function aspect has been dealt with for years and years and years so it's like obvious that anything you design has to work you know it can't like for example you can't uh, if you design a teapot and it's going to dribble when you pour then it's not uh, however good it, you you so that's already so so function is a given mm. they've got to a stage of design where it ha- you can take for granted that is it has to work and then 
beyond that, what can you do? You know, mm. whereas in India, we're still at a stage where if it works, it's great. I mean, it may, uh, it's very hard here. Like I tried to buy a teapot and it was just almost impossible to buy one which doesn't dribble when you pour. So we're still, I think, in when it comes to the design of objects, uh, you know, yeah. we, we're not, we, it's not like, post-function where we are we still have to get the function right like everywhere when you look at around us like look at the look at design in the public space you know look at our roads look at our public infrastructure design i think we still haven't even got to function yeah yet. i mean we in fact consider accessibility post-function which is a, a sad state we are in but yeah nevertheless we're getting towards there yes yeah Accessibility is part of function. Correct. And and we treat it very differently, actually. So, yeah, changing gears a bit. Uh, uh, you you were the like one of the pioneers to get design into the India's corporate uh, boardroom. So, uh, if you can share any insights from there, because when we speak about graphic design or when we speak about, uh, when we consider these to be more of uh, aesthetic functions uh, in, in India, especially, how did... Uh, even the corporates respond to uh, uh, maybe you can take a particular project or a uh, or a particular client to explain. Um, so the thing is that you know my approach was always very much uh, that uh, you know I was trying to first of all uh, establish uh, you know what design is because when I came and I started uh, Ray and Keshavan in 1989, there were hardly any uh, professional design firms. Mm. Uh, you know, there were advertising companies and so on, but there were hardly any at all, or maybe none really that uh, like worked in, uh, understood what design was that presented it as a, you know, as a field. And so when I, I had to explain every single time that uh, when I was working with clients that design is not just like a pretty pattern and, and it's something that's going to act, you know, it can actually be fundamental in helping you, your business. Uh, because if you look at, uh, so, you know, we, like we understand that design is actually like, well, Steve Jobs said, it's the soul of a man-made product of every man-made product is the design. And so it's absolutely fundamental to anything, any organization. So if you're making a product, of course the product has to be designed, but then so does every single thing in the ecosystem, the communication around the product, the like everything, your office has to be designed, the, the website has to be designed. Every single thing in the ecosystem of creation of the product and the company is a product of design. Uh, so I was, I'm, you know, I've always believed that design is extremely powerful in uh, altering the fate of, of the organization, the fate of the companies, it, that it can actually lead to success if you get things right, if you've understood what you're trying to design and you come up with a good solution. Design can alter the fortunes of businesses. So that is how I tried to explain to people how important and powerful design is, that it's not some side activity that is done by the communications department or somebody, you know, mm. on, uh, it's, it's something that is absolutely fundamental to the success of an organization. And therefore, when you this is something that I had to explain again and again and again. And it's true in every single project that I worked on as you, as I kept uh, working, I would, you know, also always question why I'm doing a piece of work. So if whatever, so for example, if somebody came to me and said, you know, um, I, you know, I, I want a website designed, then I would, that's how 
somebody approaches you with a project because they think that's what they want or we want our website isn't working we want it redesigned and then you really have to understand why it's not working what is the problem identify that and then see will redesigning it solve the problem or not because you know sometimes maybe it's only a part of the solution and even if you redesigned it there's a hundred other things that are not okay and therefore their problem is not going to get solved. So the way that I approach design is in a very um, holistic sort of way where I had to, like I used to understand, okay, why have you come to me? What is the, because people always think they've identified the problem, but very, very often I found in my practice that it was not really what they'd identified was perhaps it was indeed an issue, but it would make be a very small part of one had to always step back and then go deeper and deeper to understand more and more so it it i ended up really understanding and putting a lot of time and effort into understanding that whole business that that person is in the industry the competition why somebody succeeding why are they not succeeding what is it, what are the things they need to do to achieve success maybe they don't have the right people for example mm. and unless you improve the quality of your people you're not going to any website's not going to uh, you know work for you because at the end of the day you you have some other you know you have every single you've got to get various things right to succeed in a business so so I used to step back and and keep asking questions and get so involved in understanding the situation and the issue and then identify then I would play back to my client all the things that I had discovered about them and they were very interested always because you see they are in that business and if you can highlight things that they haven't seen and just by asking questions and understanding the industry and looking at the competition, you, you do come up with, you know, you can see where things aren't working. So what happens is that you, you have to work, then you, you start working at a level which really involves taking decisions at a, at a level of, you know, the decision maker has to be somebody who can take those decisions that influence the outcome. So you can't really you take it out of those small silos and you make it, you go until you're working with the board. And then I, so at the end of the day, the only people who could really uh, in the corporate world take these decisions were the board. So I used to work with then present to the board of the company. And most of my, you know, the last 10 years of my practice would have been at that level, you know, trying to highlight to them, these are the things that have to be fixed, your stuff isn't working. And so it, it almost became a kind of like consulting mixed with design, because that is then that is when you have design that's effective. You know, mm. if I just did a little website, and then moved on into the next project, I mean, it may or may not have been as effective as uh, we were able to make it. And that's because we worked like, so each project would take a year or two, for example, to, to really uh, understand and come up with the right solution. So that is how I think we introduced design in its most wide and fundamental sense. And a lot of uh, my time was spent in explaining and advocacy, but, but I always found that when you work with the decision maker, you know, he, you you both have, your incentives are aligned. You, like I, like very often my client's customer is actually my client, you know, because why are they not buying? So it's, so those are the things. So I, that, if you take that view, then your client becomes very interested in what you're doing. And then you, it's at a, at a level where the client, the decision-making aspect of the client, that is like the CEO or the 
chairman or the person running the or the board. So it, it, they become invested in the project because they are very interested in what you're finding out for them. And, and therefore you're able to then make considerable progress and the design then can, can illustrate that it can be effective and really help the organization. So I think that is what Ray and Keshavan did, you know, which was uh, look at it in this broad scope and try and make things that were truly effective. It's very, very inspiring. I wanted to like dig one question deeper in this, that uh, because you started in 1989, I'm sure providing a holistic approach and then showing some case studies within India, uh, and then convincing uh, looks very intuitive and very natural today. When when people like you have invested so much time and effort uh, in in building that ecosystem. So at that time, what examples uh, were helpful? I mean, like the case studies from the West, or uh, even there were case studies at a more grounds up level in India. So you know, when I started, uh, there were no case studies to show because the case studies in the West are not truly relevant. Correct. Uh, you know, correct. Yeah, to that's right. I, mean, I don't know. Definitely, I didn't really start by showing case studies. Uh, well, I mean, I just, some inspiration also, not just yeah, not just case studies, but any inspiration. See, this this project worked for them because of X Y Z T V C or say this uh, marketing campaign or any of that sort, and then. How is it relevant here? Because I, I'm just struggling to, uh, with with Google and everything, you are just so uh, spoiled for like showing references and benchmarking. Uh, at that time, it must have been really tough. So that's where I wanted to understand. Yes, it was quite, yes, it was different because, you know, then of course, I mean, let's say this, I started and I, oh, by the way, I brought the first Apple Mac to India. So that's something that, uh, you know, you can imagine when this was, this was real, so long ago in 87 I think and it's um it's just that it so I used to actually work earlier in a pre-computer era and then computers were just coming in and in fact Rain Kishun was the very first company which had design office which had computer worked on computers so we were very uh, uh, unique in that respect you know when we started because everybody was still doing everything by hand and for years afterwards but we um when we talk, so, but coming back to your question, you know, there was no Google, there was no email, even e- email only came in the 90s. And so there was, it was nothing, uh, we, we, you didn't have to, but I don't think that I would show references even today, you know, it's not needed, because each person's project is unique. First, you know, by the time you understand what that person needs uh, and you you highlight all the issues and so on. You just take it from there. You don't really need to show examples of other people's work. Or and in fact, I don't like to look at that because I feel then I'll be constrained by what. So so when I did brand identity, I would never. You know, we didn't have Google, and we I come from a pre-Google era, and I, I never look to see what other designers are doing in that category or in any category. I'm not a very. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not always following what's going on and what other people are doing because I prefer to, I think then I'll be constrained by what I've seen and my mind will get constrained by what those possibilities. So I often tell the younger people in my office, you know, the younger designers, because if you give them a problem, the first thing they do is to sit on that, sit at the computer and start seeing, looking at something. And I always tell them that, you know, your solution may not come from that because they there's no point looking, sitting at your computer and uh, looking at whatever options are presenting themselves there. You've got to think in a completely uh, different way. And you often get, like, I believe that 
you get inspired by other things, not from myself at least. I mean, I strongly believe that the fount of ideas that you have, you know, like you, you, you get ideas out of your head and that comes from so many things that it could come from art, it could come from any other kind of uh, stimulus, it could come from uh, films you've watched, it could come from photographs or it could come from a visit to some place or anything. There's so many different things uh, that make up what goes into your head out of which those ideas come from. So the, the, the wider that exposure is. So mm. I always feel that you need to travel as much as you can, read as much as you can, listen to different things. I mean, and then you'll broaden that uh, fount, yeah. uh, you know, from which you can get ideas. But just because you're going to do a logo for, you know, any like a motorcycle, it doesn't mean you have to go and see all the motorcycle logos that exist and say, okay, you know, this is the kind of motorcycle. And I, I, you're certainly not going to show the client uh, examples of other people's motorcycle logos and say, this is what they've done, that this is what they've done. I mean, then that is just not my approach can I, can I? at all. Hmm. You know, I would don't want to be constrained by that. I, I don't know. Maybe when some Miro painting that I saw on a trip somewhere stayed in my head and that gave me a, a thought of doing it in some other way. I mean, who knows? Nobody knows where ideas come from, Correct. you know? It could come from something. But but definitely, definitely, I don't believe that it should be from looking at something in the same category or something similar. What I wanted to understand was that when you are explaining this to a non-designer, it becomes sometimes challenge for him or her to visualize, especially when they are completely engrossed in their in their business vision or or whatever domain they are expert in. Now, to educate, you have to start by some some reference point, And that's where I was heading. But yeah, your answer even encapsulates that because then you not really show... No, you don't have to show any example to them. Uh, like, I don't... I okay. didn't feel the need to do that anyway. I just thought that... Because I'm here to do uh, solve your problem, right? Like, you've come to me for a reason. And so then it's a very long process. You engage over a period of time. And so I think that it's really... you. When you engage over a period of time and you really, then you can tell them that, you know, look, this is what your competition is doing. This is what other, you can then show in your process of discovery, what the industry, why they're ahead of you. Or in, in a context, you could show what they're not doing, but, uh, and say why something's important or what they are doing, which is good and what the others are not doing. So, so that is a context in which, uh, you know, work takes place. But I, I've never see, felt the need to tell my client that, you know, okay, look at this, these are all the airlines and their logos and, you know, so nothing like that. Because then they, I don't want to, them to start thinking or be in a certain way because I want the field to be open to, for me to figure out what I want to do. And then once, yeah, so I think, for me, that was, uh, but it was always a case of, you know, in the beginning where there was no, ad, ad, there was no value given to design. And I think one of the things that we really had to work on was to tell people that, you know, like, for example, I'll give you a very simple example. The, uh, when I worked, uh, advertising was a well-established industry. Uh, and the way that people used to charge money uh, in advertising agencies were, was that they would say, you know, this is for this, uh, they used to do something called an artwork, which was then sent for printing or uh, sent to the magazines, uh, you know, to be printed. This is in a pre-digital 
digital era. So they used to, and those artworks were done by hand and they were, you know, they, they were called bromides. And depending on the size of the artwork, the agency would bill. So, and then they would take a 15% commission on the media release. So if an ad ran, uh, you know, 50 times, then you would get much more money because every single insertion you get 15%. But for the creative, the you don't, you're not earning anything. You're only earning in square centimeters. Mm -hmm. That is uh, two rupees 65 paisa per square centimeter. Something like that was the rate. And so when I heard that, I, I thought this, this doesn't make any sense because this is not how I'm going to charge. I'm going to charge for my creative work and my idea and not for the size of the object that I'm creating. Because when you do something large, you can charge more. You do something small, you though the thinking will be comparable, you know, for both. So I thought that was a fundamental flaw in the way the industry was structured, at least the advertising industry. And they called designs uh, in there, what they called design or what they thought was design, they called it below the line, you know, which was something which was uh, print-based jobs and so on. Whereas for me, design was larger than advertising itself. And advertising was a subset of design. So... I had a completely different view on what design is. And that is what I introduced to people uh, when I started. And so even like I had to convince them that I was not going to charge anything per square centimeter, but I was you, you had to pay for the intellectual property that you were getting. And all those were new ideas at the time, but they did uh, prevail. And then it, you know, so when the design industry developed, uh, a lot of people used the same uh, way of doing things. So they charge fees instead of, uh, you know, basing things on the size of whatever was being created. And then later when things be became digital, then of course, you know, the size of anything became irrelevant. And so anyway, people then by then, everything was well, uh, you know, was set, but we had to think about everything because when I, at that time, it was quite a new field. There was no profession of designers. Mm -hmm. You know, there were commercial artists working in advertising companies. There were uh, people working in textiles and so on, but there was no field where you could, you know, there were very few design offices at all. And uh, at certainly none which looked at design in this, in the way we, we, where it was something that was, you know, extremely strong and powerful and not a side activity. Correct, correct. Even people from JJ used to uh, either get into photography or advertising and not really think of design in a bigger context. I mean, I take this take this moment to thank you uh, personally for like just. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because of that, there's there's a saying that you're you're standing on the like shoulders of your giant. So there are people who have been uh, relentlessly, tirelessly working to educate design to to uh, show uh, people at at a mass level importance of design, and then that's why we designers are uh, just <laughs> enjoying that hard work which you put in so yeah even today i think one has to uh, it's much i mean now it's like you know i can't even believe how many designers there are now it's so much but it's like it's when i started there was just nothing called design there was nobody and always one was explaining what it was and and people were amazed to hear anything like that mm. i mean they had they always thought oh you know something like you're going to make some pattern which will be put <laughs> on something or you know i mean it was like even people I worked with used to say, okay, I'll, I'll show it to my wife and I'll ask her what she thinks she, you know, she'll understand. <laughs> and, but, but because they didn't understand what design was. And 
then so so much of time went into advocacy i mean even till today i think it's poorly understood on the yeah. whole uh, people understand bits and pieces of it but they don't understand the whole uh, uh, the whole story you good, know good. cool uh, so let's change to the last gear which is uh, given the major shift uh, in your career from rian keshavan which was like graphic design and uh, more towards uh, the the paper kind of a thing or digital maybe but now we have completely into textile and fashion so uh, with uh, varna so can you can you highlight or can you tell because uh, in the past i've i've interviewed with uh, march t uh, who were like four passionate designers who used to uh, do digital design make apps websites and everything and they were like more tech driven so in their uh, conversation what i figured out is that now they treat even their t-shirts to be uh, version 1.1 1.2 so they have not really fundamentally changed uh, but put and they, they don't even qualify themselves to be a fashion brand it's like their, their t-shirt is maybe version 6 right now and uh, it's uh, hd which is uh, like a slightly harder cotton uh, as in softer but like more thicker cotton so that's how they perceive their kind of work So I wanted to understand your bit and also the challenges uh, of of this multiple multidisciplinary nature of design, uh, and and what made you move to Varna uh, and build Varna and some bits of that. Okay, so um, you know, so I actually um, was working. I mean, I was with Ray and Keshavan for twenty five years, and that was quite a long time. And Uh, and in 25 years we did an enormous body of work huge n- amount of work and i think that what happened was that we were doing uh, you know the projects were getting larger and larger and we worked for example on four airports the concept for airports and the brand identity and we I, i we did like so i had worked on so many b- banks uh like eight or 10 and in financial services i mean don't ask me how many different projects and um so i had the, so what happened was there was a sort of a repetitive aspect coming in while each project is different like w- what used to happen is that you know when you work on one bank and then you you know your work is out and and people are seeing it and they think it's good and then 10 other banks come to you immediately and so the minute you enter a category and you finish one project you like if i did something for in the day i did something for an instant coffee one brand and every other instant coffee you know would come and you've just done so much in that category that you know how much can you keep doing the same category what happens is that over 25 years i had done quite a lot of work and i wanted to and like i i just felt that you know maybe i wanted to do something again which was a challenge for me because it was getting to be easier and easier and so i i wanted something i thought i have it in me for one more thing which, which is like uh, you know going to be difficult where i can learn from the bottom and and start over and also i thought maybe something where you know with the more tactile aspect because you know as you know the graphic design is quite digital and it's completely digital actually mm. now so uh, it it had moved into that uh, kind of work and so i was thinking that you know so i thought maybe also i didn't really have a good succession plan for ian kishan so 
uh, I had started getting a lot of offers uh, from various, uh, you know, different kinds of people to uh, who wanted to buy it. And then over a period of seven years, I I sold Rain Keshavan, and because I had decided that I wanted to exit and try something else. And so for very many years, you know, while I've always been very interested in, you know, I mean, what I described in my work in Rain Keshavan and these amazing projects that we did, which we were we call them, you know, brand transformation projects or using design to transform and to absolutely take something from one level to another level. Mm. But I was thinking that once I'd, I'd done that very many times. So, so then when I did, so I thought, okay, maybe I should have a stab at something else. And then I thought maybe, you know, when you're a design consultant, you are giving advice from the outside and then you're trying to, prevail on the client to implement everything. And then they implement some things, but they don't always implement everything. Or sometimes things are lost in implementation and it's not 100% what you want. And then I was thinking that, you know, but if I had my own brand and I was my own client, and then I could do 100% what I want. And I don't have to, uh, you know, like be in a situation where you tell somebody something and they, they, they don't, implemented 100 you know they do take a part of it and they do it or they don't really do it well and in the larger projects you know they give it to their agency to do bits of it and then they don't it doesn't come out the way you want it so I was just thinking that you know maybe I should try and do something where I have more control on everything and so and for very many years you know like maybe for 20 all my life I've always been fascinated by our textiles and I've thought India has the most extraordinary textiles which uh, you know you know in our side the the traditions and techniques we have are really amazing I mean in uh, the way we make we have like handloom and you know, the way there are hundreds of different ways of weaving, for example, mm. and printing and dyeing. And most of it has stayed within our country and like for the most part used on saris. Uh, and that's how it evolved. But I was thinking that, you know, there's such a lot of design, how design can really help this and take it to another level. Because I feel often design is, you know, people are doing what they were always doing or incrementally changing it, but still it's the markets are still the same as they were because these crafts, people don't have the reach. Uh, you know, they live in a different universe and there could potentially be markets which are, which, which they can't access. Uh, but, but I thought as an internationally trained designer with a lot of exposure to, uh, you know, having lived in different countries and so on, I thought I could be that bridge between these craftspeople and artisans and the world I, because I'm very interested in modern design and contemporary international design and even at Rain Keshwan, Rain Keshwan was always like while we designed uh, our clients were here and we designed for this market but we always were uh, very interested in, in you know benchmarking ourselves against uh, you know an international quality mm. and so when I so I thought there is, I was very, very uh, interested in this uh, idea of working with art, craft, uh, you know, heritage traditions, but, but making, using modern design to take it to, you know, to bring modernity into it and make, make new markets for these people. Because if they then, 
you know, if it works, if we are able to build scale and have some impact, then these crafts people can continue because many of them were, un, you know, the children are not taking to the craft while they have like generations of people have worked, you know, they have many generations who know, have all this knowledge, but that knowledge will die out if the children don't take to the craft. So I wanted to make it aspirational for them to continue working so that then they can, the craft continues and doesn't die out because they, there's such a lot that we have, you know, the it's, it's extraordinary what India has, which no other country in the world has. Yeah. So this was the idea I had and that was cooking in my head for a while. And then when we, when I uh, left Ray and Keshavan uh, and I handed it over finally after, you know, many years, uh, I thought, you know, let's, I, I wanted to try this new thing. And basically, uh, Varana, that's how we pronounce it, is um, actually, it's based, uh, you know, it, it's it's to do with showing the best of the best. So it's like a craft is, we show it at its highest level. And I've always had a very obsessive uh, interest in quality, like, really like I it has to for me quality is a very 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 important thing and I work very hard to achieve whether it was Ray and Keshavan or whether it is Varana for me that is something like to 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 basically to try and do something at its very best quality quality wise like that is something that I'm for me is important uh, so uh, when we started Varana it I wanted to work at a level which is uh, where I can showcase uh, craft at at the very best. Because within India, you have many examples of how people are working with craft, but not like how many can work with master crafts people, right? I want mm. to work at that level. So that is why we started Varana at, uh, as a high-end brand. And I've it's an international brand. And the idea is to take uh, craft from here, but provide be that design bridge which because I do understand uh, you know I do understand international uh, markets and international design and I thought we could be that bridge that then uh, worked to connect these crafts with a larger universe so that was the idea behind Radan that's what we're trying to do and you know yeah so so it's a very different field because it's it's, uh, quite uh, tactile and touchy-feely and I have to it's also you need a lot more. Uh, it's a lot of a teamwork because you need you you need to work with uh, specialists because a lot of specialists in garment construction. So I have to work with international designers for things that we don't have those skills in India, like you know garment construction and things like that. But on the other hand, uh, we are making our fabric, so we get a lot of things woven. We work with jamdani. We work with different kinds of handloom. And we work with different techniques. So we do a lot with khadi. And I'm absolutely very, very interested in khadi because it's so sustained. It's such an extraordinary fabric made entirely by hand. And and if you know what we're trying to do with khadi is to really elevate it to an amazing level. So we're doing really interesting work trying to find out, you know, take something that's handmade and uh, completely handmade, hand spun and hand woven and, and give it the place it deserves by by virtue of design so design can you know if you just make something where the garment is not well designed using beautiful fabric like khadi you're not doing justice to it so i my thing is my 
mission is to to present these fabrics you know in a way where you're doing justice to that craft so there's a mission behind it and it's a sustainable uh, everything is sustainable and we're trying to to see how we can you know then showcase these things so that they continue it's it's a fascinating exercise yeah. and i'm very very it also brings into bear a lot of the things that i cuz in design is interdisciplinary uh, you know according to me the process of design is very it can be applied it's the same whether you know what you call the design process mm. it's something which can be applied across mediums it doesn't matter you may have to bring in uh, domain experts you know to if you if you need a expert who knows like uh, i need an expert who knows how to cut garments i need an expert who knows how how to create a jacket you need like this garment engineering experts are needed but i can work with them and you know i can work with them i have specialist textile designers who really understand weaving uh, which i don't yeah. but then you can work along with people bring in those skills that are required and where you can all work together to create something and that is what we're trying to do now with parana so it's it does include a lot of what i learned in rain keshavan mm. and uh, and a whole lot of new stuff as well so you know yeah. it's like creating a brand that i has inputs from my all my work with rain keshavan but then actually creating the product and designing each and every single product and we have so many products in the in the store mm. we opened with a store in london because we want and we we went for the best area you know and we took a really beautiful store and we had it beautifully designed by pentagram we were trying to showcase these things so that they get the respect that they deserve sure. so it's like a, that's what i'm trying to do and also so i do feel that it is uh, you know a designer is interdisciplinary yeah. and there are some designers who like to work deep within one domain mm. uh, and they don't really cross over to other domains but there are some designers who don't mind a more you know like working across different things so and i'm in the second category yeah. now with you it's it's all the more inspirational because when i finished uh, uh, my 12 years in design i said uh, chalo ek tap to ho gaya 12, 12 years is a good amount should i switch and then i figured out i probably can spend some more time uh, and and 25 seems to be like a nice number to get inspired as of now uh to deep uh, uh deeply understand design and then use those uh, insights experience and learnings into some other domain which possibly can be explored uh, or or like maybe benefit the community at large and so on and so forth and obviously as massimo vengeli says like if you can design one thing you can design anything so i'm sure uh the varana which is i was pronouncing wrong my bad but yeah but so right no actually varana is the sanskrit word but okay. uh, yeah and and but we made a brand name but the root is similar yeah, yeah. it's it's like the varuna the asi you know the rivers in the oh, right, right. okay so yeah i'm sure uh, it it will be like a great product uh, and uh, obviously i'm going to put yes i mean please see our website yeah i've seen that so i'll add, put that in the show notes also but yeah mine is like okay. a very small project in a sense uh, the the it is just going to aid few more d- listeners to understand that that's it <laughs> no that's all right because you know each person has to there's no formula for anything mm-hmm. you know every situation is different every person's uh, life and career choices are different yeah. and it's uh, you would know when it's time to change to something else if at all or you might be quite happy working in, in a field you know 
because there's more you can give to it and more you can get from it. And so it's it's perfectly, uh, every, you know, there's just no rights and wrongs. It just depends on each situation and you know, where one is. So, so uh, with so much, uh, uh, so much of wealth uh, in, and experience in, in design, uh, Sujat, I want to conclude uh, with one last question that you have been uh, serving on the governing councils of uh, NID, Srishti. I know this can be a separate audio can altogether that what should uh, or how we should approach design for Indian people, for Indian students, for Indian aspiring designers. But if you want to just briefly tell us about uh, what is your observation of the state of design education in India and which areas maybe uh, are helpful to deep dive, explore, uh, to improve our standards of living, improve our sensitive sensibilities of design and so on. You know, there's just so much that has to be done. You know, like in India, mm -hmm. the amount of work that is, things have, every, there's just so much that needs to be designed. Uh, there's such a long way to go to, to make things better. I mean, anything, you look at any field, you can, there is a, you know, we, there is just so much more we can do to make it better. And I think that for that, we just are not equipped with enough uh, number of design colleges and institutes and so on. We are very, very few for a country like India with 1.2 billion people or 1.3 billion by now. It's like, like I many years ago, I heard that China had set up 2000 design colleges or something, but now I don't know how good they are. Mm. Uh, but, but one of the challenges that we, so we definitely, there's a need for very many more, but the, I think the two things, one, one is actually, I do think that design should be, I mean, okay, the two, if, if I had a wish list, one is that of course you need much, much more in the way of design education in India, but also there is a huge challenge of getting high quality uh, faculty, you know, mm. which there is a shortage of, because there's so much design, there's such a big market for designers that designers don't take to teaching. And even, although design is a professional field and you can have professionals come and practice and that is how it should be you should I personally feel that you know design schools should work with existing practitioners you know that's very important rather than just have permanent faculty you could have a few but you really need to engage with the world so you have to have people come in but it's there's so much of work out there that the good designers don't get involved in academia here you know because we don't have enough designers uh, we have very, very few designers given the size of the industry. And so it's just, um, we don't have enough design schools. So a lot of people are self-taught designers and that's perfectly fine. Uh, you know, I don't have any problem with that at all if they're able to, like you said, you were self-taught and why not, mm. you know, if you can learn. Today you have the internet, which is a great uh, way to learn because it exposes you to a lot of things. But if you want to do like a formal design uh, you know, a course, then I do think that you need a lot more than, because you need hundreds of schools for a country like ours. But here again, the chicken and egg problem is where do you get faculty and faculty of a certain standard, you know? Mm. Uh, so it's it means somehow pulling in the best designers to come and teach uh, alongside their practice. And that's, uh, th that is, I think, the way to go. The other thing that I think is that design should be offered as a core, because you already have very many engineering schools 
and that is well established. So I think design should be offered as an important part of, uh, of engineering, of the, very important in the engineering curriculum. So that it's so, you know, that may be a way to go rather than opening up hundreds of design schools, but offer, seriously offer good design courses in every engineering school so that, you know, people can also, that'll, that'll help, I think. So engineers have more of a sense of design mm. when they, when they, uh, when they can then take up problems and bring design into it. Yeah. I also think that you, you, I would like, if I, it was, a, you know, I would think you need to have like design thinking uh, in, in schools from when you're very young, you know, mm. teach right from, because every single person has to take up design uh, activity in their lives, no matter what, solve problems. And if you can think uh, using the design process and design thinking, it'll be very helpful. So I would think like right from junior school onwards, introduce design and design ideas and, you know, aspects of the design curriculum into schools itself. And that way, everybody will have some exposure to it. So that's something that I think would be a wish list if, you know, if it was up to me to influence, uh, to have it right from junior school onwards, junior school, middle school, design curriculum could easily be introduced into schools mm -hmm. and then into engineering colleges. And then, of course, with specialist design schools, many, many more of them. And maybe be open to getting people from outside because you have very many designers in other countries and India has a dearth of designers. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah. getting them in and to at least train one, like when an NID was set up, the first batch of designers were sent to very good design schools in Europe to be trained. So they went to Ulm and they went to different places in, uh, in Europe to learn how to design. They came back and they, you know, then they were the teachers at NID and they, it was fantastic. They were a great uh, bunch of teachers. But but once they retired, the second, they didn't have enough, you know, the similar training was not offered to the second batch of uh, teachers there. So it was only the one batch that went. And But I think some, things like that, you have faculty training is very important because we don't have enough designers readily available, you know, mm. who are of high quality. Yeah, we have a lot of me, medium level people, but we don't have high quality designers who work to high standards and that's very important if you're training other people in design you need to have to be able to in, to train them well you have to know what you're talking about mm -hmm. so uh, so I think there's just a, a lot to go a lot like I mean I think anyone who go wanders through any Indian city will wonder does this country have even one design mm. you know you mm. know it's like just not evident this is so much to be done because you just see the way we our cities have become i mean the, every single thing needs to be done it's just so it's a cities if you look if i if I, every time i go anywhere go you just look around you look at the quality of the buildings look at the quality of the roads look at the quality of the flyovers of the everything you see is uh, you know needs design so there's a huge amount of work to be done huge Mm. I think still there's scope for, a, we are just starting out on the journey. We, we have a long way to go. Correct. And we can, I mean, we, there is so much to do. Yeah, yeah. Correct. I mean, it, it echoes uh, uh, multiple times from other uh, few legendary people who was, I was fortunate to document like Balakrishna Doshi 
and uh, like a lot of people have been saying the same thing that there's a huge huge uh, potential and possibilities to explore <laughs> huge potential huge opportunities i mean they're just getting to it's like you know everything you, you see there's scope mm-hmm. for improvement yeah. you know that's where we are there is scope so there's a lot to be done for and there's a lot like even if you had how many designers we have into a thousand multiplied by thousand you'd still not have enough to to meet all the requirements yeah. that's what i think yeah. brilliant brilliant that's very inspiring and to all the listeners i'll add my bit that after 25 30 years plus of work uh sujata showing such passion such enthusiasm and uh, starting from grounds up in certain areas uh i think it's very very inspirational and uh, uh it is definitely like uh i'm i'm short of words but lot to cover lot to cover so thanks sujata for giving your time it was a real real honor uh speaking to you and you've given lot of insights and lot of inspiration for me also thank you thank okay bye thanks thanks a lot yeah. and that's it from today's gyan session catch us on itunes savan stitcher or any podcasting app you use do rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram stay tuned for more gyan on audiogyan.com till then bye It's been a great week on the IVM podcast network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutya is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on YouTube.com/slash/IVMPodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week: Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks, guys. Without you, this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.